welcome back to Tell Me This. This is episode two of season two, Carrie's Envious, that I got an easy one. Yes. <laughs> um, this is our podcast about belonging, building communities, and cultivating connections and authentic spaces for listening, learning, and leaning into our experiences. I'm Brianne Roost, and I'm here with Dr. Carrie Borkowski. And today we're going to talk with Lisa Cerise, who is a wellness educator, and we know her through the Hopkins EDD program. And Lisa is going to share her experiences of belonging, teaching, and learning in a different context, so a different classroom of sorts. Later on, we'll unpack one of the articles that she talks about, um, and it, it really is going to bring up a lot of big and important ideas like balance and taking a good look at the physical, psychological, and structural factors that influence our lives these, these days. There's so much of that going on, and it's going to encourage us to sort of put these in bins and, and look closely at them. Something else that will come up is the idea of breaking down a big task into its component parts for our students. And Carrie, all of your students sign up for online programs. They know that, right? Because they're all online. So they know that when they get into this, they're gonna have to have some degree of digital comfort. Um, and I think with my students, my higher ed college students, undergraduates, I find it tempting to assume that they are digital natives. And so therefore they will be comfortable and competent with the technology that we use in class. I assume that they're gonna outpace me uh, with their tech, which wouldn't be hard. Um, <laughs> but what I'm learning is that that's not necessarily the case. So that's sort of the first thing. Um, and second, even if they are pretty adept with the technology, they also seem to be kind of overwhelmed and at mm. their cognitive capacity these days, right? Because of COVID and race inequality and class and online learning and doing this at home. And there's so many things that are taking up their cognitive space. And so they may not have the bandwidth to figure out a new tech tool. So as I was thinking about what Lisa's gonna share, just as she took the time to explain how to get on Zoom with her exercise class clients, which is a great story um, <laughs> hearing that. Um, the message that she shares is that she treats them with respect and patience, um, you know, kind of all the way through. So I want to be similarly intentional about breaking down assignments into smaller, more manageable parts and providing clear directions about any tech that we use this semester. Uh, I want to provide information rather than making assumptions. That's part of my goal as I go into this semester is to, to take the burden off of figuring out an assignment and rather place the burden on, you know, the content and really where the thought work should be. So stick around, and I hope that you'll enjoy our upcoming episode or interview with Lisa Cerise. All right, so welcome everybody to season two of Tell Me This, and as Brianne and I have shared with you in other episodes, this season is really focused on elevating the voices of our educators and I we define that word educator very broadly it includes teachers leaders district leaders um, higher ed k-12 and folks that are supporting and teaching folks in other spaces including nonprofits and our lovely guest today um, will be talking to us about the work that she does in teaching and learning in a sort of different space which is awesome I'm really looking forward to it so Lisa Cerise, welcome to the podcast, Brianne. It's good to talk with you again. So Lisa comes to us today from Texas, um, the Woodlands. I didn't know where the Woodlands were, so luckily she told me it was the northern part of Houston. Um, Lisa's background is in education and liberal arts, and she is a current 
student in the ed D program at Hopkins. Our audience will start to recognize that a lot of these great guests are coming either from or in this program. So that's awesome. Um, in terms of professional context, Lisa and I were talking about, she sort of describes her background as interdisciplinary. It really is a mix of music and movement. And I think that's partly why um, she came to the Hopkins program to sort of think through and, and research the neuroscience and, and this notion of cognition and, and the, the not just the physical fitness, but the mental and emotional and the mood side and really integrate some brain science. Lisa is a very talented individual, accomplished in her own right, singer, songwriter, performer, and founder of Girl Friday Music. She is a healthy living instructor for the Greater Houston YMCA, and that's really why we brought her on today to talk about her work there. And so let's see, her dissertation work is on the integration of mind and brain health and group exercise and really focusing on, and I love this piece, Lisa, this, this notion of really taking the research and translating it into practice because we just, we don't do that in enough spaces well. And so I'm glad to see somebody else is working on that. So Lisa, welcome, Brianne. Again, it's great to see you. Lisa, we started off these interviews. Just, I do, we just want to check in, like, how are you and your family doing during this crazy time? Well, all things considered, actually, <laughs> doing pretty great. Uh, luckily, no one has gotten ill. Um, I actually was tested, but it was negative. But um, I was sick for a couple of weeks, so Ugh. who knows? But um, but anyway, yeah, we're, we're hanging in. I think we're just having to get really creative. I've decided that I, I don't like the phrase social distancing mm -hmm. anymore. I really want to use spatial distancing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, social. We all do. We're humans, right? Yes. Uh, but but no, we're we're hanging in. As a matter of fact, we've we've found a, um, we always like a sense of humor, but we're finding a deeper sense of humor. <laughs> good. It is required, but good. Thank good. You for good. Asking. We're doing yeah. Well. Of course, of course. Yeah. Have being. I feel like being sick during this time always comes with its unique challenges, right? If you sniffle or cough, it's all of a sudden <laughs> you're in, interpreting it and worrying about what it is. So um, I'm, I'm glad everything is okay. <laughs> um, so the, as you know, Lisa, because I know you've you've kindly um, taken some time and listened to some of the previous episodes on season one. You know that this this uh, podcast is really grounded or was started because I have a real interest in belonging and building community. And so the first question, not to your surprise, hopefully, is we'd really like to hear, um, you know, what is your understanding or what is your conception of this idea of belonging? Well, that's an interesting, it, it, belonging is an interesting concept. And I've sort of, I've been reading a lot of Scott Ferry Kaufman lately. And you know, I've been thinking a lot about identity and the pressures that, you know, the environment can exert and, and influence a person's sense of belonging. And I think that, you know, really to, to survive, we need to belong, but we, we need it to thrive too, right? To do more than just function in our lives. And so I think my take on belonging has changed as I've, um, turned calendar pages, shall we say. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to really think that, you know, one's personal beliefs, um, it, it's, it can sort of impede. In other words, you can get in your own way and create barriers that you think are keeping you from belonging. And it's really just a process of 
of sort of stepping out of your own, own belief systems about the stories, like Brene would say that, you know, the stories we tell ourselves. And I think that there have been times in, in um, situations where I didn't feel like I belong. Let's take this doctoral program, <laughs> for instance, you know? I mean, as I'm, you know, writing out my application, I'm thinking, ah, I don't belong. I mean, these are people who are like <laughs> way on the pedestal, so much higher than myself and all. And, but you know, you tell yourself these stories and um, I'm learning to sort of step out of my way mm -hmm. and to um, just sort of embrace multiple identities mm -hmm. and wear different hats to explore them. <laughs> and sometimes reframing my own thoughts about myself helps in that, that sense of belonging. And then in the sense of assisting others to belong, I try to check myself on that too and see if I am, if I'm throwing up words or gestures or, um, you know, situations where I'm making it difficult for someone to integrate themselves into my space and, and what I'm doing. So that's great. I love that idea. I mean, Brian and I have, as you know, Lisa, I've written a little bit on belonging. And so I love one thing we haven't really articulated is that notion of getting out of your own way, right? I really mm -hmm. love, I love that idea because I think, I think you're right. Um, and it also reminded me in the, in the earlier episode when we talked to Dr. Barber, she was talking about this idea of yes and, right? Yeah. So that you can hold multiple identities at once and, and, and that can certainly help nurture that belonging. So, um, so thanks for, for confirming that. I love, when, I love when we can triangulate this data, right? And, and come to some conclusion. So, um, but Brianne, I'll toss it over to you. Yeah, um, Lisa, you, you kind of teed up the next question so nicely, just incorporating the belonging with identity. And um, I don't know, I find that sometimes because we've chatted quite a bit, you know, before this podcast, sometimes you're, you're self-deprecating about your role as a teacher because your context is different. Um, but you absolutely are a teacher. And of course, being a doctoral student, you're therefore a learner as well. And so I wanted to ask you to please share with us kind of what your perspective is in terms of identity as both a teacher and a learner. So what does it mean to you to be both of those things at the same time? I think, I think that I will always be both of those things in equal parts mm -hmm. simultaneously for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, I feel like I can't be a teacher unless I continue to be a learner. And, you know, in the field of andragogy, where I'm, I'm mostly working with adults or people who are, you know, post high school anyway, um, you know, meaning making has to be useful. It needs to be relevant. It needs to be actionable. Adults don't have time to waste. And so, one of the things that I like to do is to make sure that I'm, I'm switching my hat as, so that I can sort of put myself in the, the role of student as well. What are the things that are important to learn and, and to know? And, and I feel like I'm in the space of public health. So um, working with, you know, we have this, I, I say we, there is a notion out there sometimes that, you know, it's like, okay, got my degree, I'm done. I'm going to put it into use and, you know, merrily we roll along. But in the, in the space of public health, it's really interesting because, you know, science just keeps changing, right? That that's the whole nature of science. There's no dogma. And every time we find out something new, you know, we need to incorporate it. And, um, and that's an, an interesting space for me and where I am with my work because, uh, 
you know, we have, I, I just have been going through all the literature on the cool stuff on exercise, neuroscience, all the things we know, all the things we're still trying to find out. But the interesting part to me is, is okay, so you have all of that, but how do we get it to where it makes a, a difference? And so I think what's really fun for me is the whole learner teacher identity. I just keep changing hats, especially, you know, I teach my classes in the morning and then I'm a student all afternoon. And um, I feel like it keeps me fresh to, yeah. to, dual, to uh, dual identify that way as both. I like how you talked about kind of perspective taking, and this is a little bit of a different twist on, on the identity piece, because I was thinking more of, you know, you are a teacher and you are also a learner in that you're learning new things, but part of that also is putting yourself in your student's shoes. And that was, I like how you, how you brought that up. Yeah, I also, so I, I was just gonna say, I also like, I love that you're sort of wearing both of those hats because as you said, information is always changing. And I think that you probably build more credibility with your classes and with your participants by acknowledging, oh, there's this new thing, right? And you want to sort of unpack it with them and you're not 100% clear where it's going. And I think my guess is that when I hear people say that, that just puts me at ease um, when I'm sort of entering a new space. So I, I hadn't Again, I love these interviews because people articulate these things in such different ways. And I love um, how you're thinking about that, Lisa. So thanks for sharing. Thank you. It's a process for sure. Yeah. yeah. Communication, understanding how people receive the information because what we think they're getting and what, what they're receiving can be miles apart, right? And so uh, lots and lots and lots of communication which is challenging in some of the exercise spaces where you have classes that are prepackaged and you know, <laughs> you, it's you know, plug and play sort of a thing. And of course I'm kicking it old school and I'm thinking, no, we've got to, this is a teaching <laughs> space, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, how do we do both? How do we get both in and translate it there? And also just sort of changing, obviously with COVID, I mean, mental space, right? That's been a thing to think about, you know, how people are not just biologically receiving all of this information, but sociologically, emotionally. And I love that, uh, you know, in the mind brain class I'm taking this summer that the very first brain target is emotional, right? So getting people even in an exercise space, getting them right there <laughs> where their emotions are and starting to build there, I think is, um, is I think it's just very beneficial to building um, wellness that's more than just the physical domain. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to give exercise a makeover. There you go. <laughs> it's not just for physical. <laughs> Lisa, I would love to know a little bit more about you as a professional, kind of what your priorities and goals were pre-pandemic. So it's hard a little bit to think about life as it was before, but um, yeah, I think, I think it was great. <laughs> well, what's really funny is that, you know, doctoral students, there's a meme that goes around showing a picture of a doctoral student social distancing and, you know, before the pandemic and after it kind of looks the same as we hold up with our practice, right? But, um, yeah, before the, the pandemic, I mean, to be honest with you, my goals were or professionally were exactly the same. If anything, the pandemic has intensified the value of, of my work in, for, for, in my head anyway. <laughs> you know, as I am doing my research, I am just realizing, you know, that the mind-body connection 
there's so as, as Scott Barry Kaufman would say, you know, it's more than just the woo-woo. We knew about the woo-woo intuitively, but now we've got some data <laughs> to show why and why movement and why, you know, why there is this connection between the body and the mind. <clears throat> and, um, and so, yeah, if anything, it's just, um, if there's a silver lining, I know people don't like to hear that. They're so sick of saying silver linings, but I still have to look for them. I'm really a Pollyanna at heart, but the silver lining for me is that professionally, this is just like poured gasoline on my passion to, to see if we can get the word out that movement is a really great mitigating strategy for anxiety and stress and um, depression and that sort of thing. So, so Lisa, we, I mean, Brian and I feel like we have a privileged position here that we know you um, what, better than our audience does. So I don't, I don't want to make any assumptions about what people think with respect to your context. So, you know, you, you said a lot of really amazing things there, like that your goals in, were the same, but intensify that it poured gasoline. So I'm going to ask you just for our audience's sake, can you unpack that a little bit? So like, um, how and why did it intensify? Like what, what was going on pre-pandemic that changed in the pandemic that really poured gasoline on this for you? Can you just give us like a concrete example to help us understand that? I think there are a couple of things. I mean, one, you know, pre-pandemic, we were all going through motions. I think we can look back now and say this, mm. <laughs> you know, we thought we were all living really purposefully and, you know, intentionally and meaningfully, but then all of a sudden when this happens, I don't know, it's a, a light, a, a light comes on. Mm -hmm. So for my classes, I've always felt that there was an emotional component to exercise for various reasons. But pre-pandemic, I mean, obviously I was, I was walking the walk and trying to share information with my classes, but I think the really big communication difference, this is going to sound funny, was Zoom. So we had to scramble, right? Because we closed buildings down. We could not be together to exercise. And we built a community through the YMCA is really great about building community. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we scrambled to, there were various ways this was happening. I mean, first of all, the Y pivoted to food bank, food services, and making sure that first responders and care, healthcare workers, essential workers had childcare. So almost everything shut it really funneled to that. So we did have a platform for some like virtual Y360 classes where an instructor would be teaching a class. And, um, but it was still one way transmission, right? Mm. Then were one way transmissions of you watch and you follow. And so I was able to, because of, because of school, because of this, I had my big fat account that I could, you know, get a lot of people into a Zoom room and I could also spend as much time as I wanted in the Zoom room. And when I pivoted and started to offer my classes online, I noted that there was just a hunger for people to talk. Mm and to share some space and, and that the feedback I was getting that, you know, many times I heard people say, this is my sanity for the day. This is what's keeping me going. This is, it, it was so much more than physical. And I know that the physical neurologically, I know what it was doing when they were moving, you know, but emotionally what they were feeling was, you know, the result and also just the social of being able to connect with like, I'm not just exercising by staring at a YouTube video, 
um, I'm with my instructor. She's talking to me. She's joking. She's laughing. And, and of course, I bought all kinds of new toys. <laughs> I was able to teach in a different way. I didn't have to share space anymore with, you know, the instructor that was coming next. So, you know, we could stay for another 30 minutes if we wanted to, if somebody had time, you know, if I had time and we would, you know, chat and um, talk about everything from in instruction to a good cookie recipe. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know, I guess I got to see my participants in a new light. Mm -hmm. uh, I always was felt emotionally close to them and really that, that the work we were doing was important. Um, but I think COVID allowed me to see a dimension, a new dimension and it just fueled the, my desire to really see what we could do to take this and uh, in, you know, expand and run with it. Cause I, the why I love, I love the why I am just such a why person. I think we do so many things right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even, even when I started this program, I struggled to use the word problem of practice, you know, for our uh, dissertations, because I didn't really want to see it as a problem. I wanted to see it as an opportunity for practice <laughs> where, cause you know, it's just, it's just a cultural thing that people think a lot of exercise for weight loss and body sculpting and aesthetics and all. And there's, there's reasons why, you know, that can be okay, but there's reasons why that can also be a reason why someone does not exercise or, you know, from experiences that they've had. And so I love the idea of maybe becoming a space for just a growth of mental health literacy. You know, maybe we start in the classrooms with, you know, throwing out some just, connecting what we're doing with why we're doing it. And then from there, who knows, you know, maybe building uh, some programs or some workshops or just letting the community know that we're there for them. Um, and that's a tool that we have that helps in that space. Lisa, I wish that, um, <laughs> that skeptics of online learning could really listen to that because yes. I think you, what you said was that you in shifting from face to face to Zoom, if I interpreted this right, is that you were able to see um, everybody in a new light more deeply, maybe even um, differently, right. and yet you were distanced, right? Like you're, you're in your home and they're in their homes and typically you would be physically together, uh, but it sounded like you had a really strong, really strong connection. Yeah, so much so that I have had, so, so a lot of the ladies that have been staying with me here, um, not all, but a, a large majority are in um, in an at-risk population. So even as things are opening up, they're not, you know, like not really inclined to rush out and mix <laughs> it up. Um, so, but I've even had people say, you know, even after this is over with, mm. I like this idea. I like having this space. I like having this connection and this ability to do things, you know, that we, you know, everybody would run off and, you know, after class do their thing. Maybe there'd be a little chatting in the hall, but, you know, people went on about their business. It wasn't as intentional. And I think that that's something that people are forgetting that online space can be. I don't think everything can be retrofitted. I think online has to be thought of as a different, a different platform, right? It's not, yeah. not remodeling something you did. It is different. And I can yes. say, from the experience now that I have with, you know, having launched the Zoom classes online, as well as the classes that I take distance, you know, from Hopkins, I have had some of the most meaningful um, conversations and um, it, it can be very, very deep. 
and very, very connected. But I do think that people have to learn a new intentionality about, yeah. you know, about giving themselves to that space. Yeah. Right. And, and creating that space, I think. I mean, you said that you would hang on for an extra 30 minutes afterwards. If you didn't do that, if you did your class from nine to 10 as scheduled, then you wouldn't necessarily have as much right. opportunity to connect. So I think that 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 word intentionality is so important in this online space. And sometimes we have to be intentional about just getting together for the sake of getting together, which right. can seem odd, right? It almost can seem like a waste of time. Like you're scheduling unscheduled time. We always say no agenda, agenda. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really where the connection happens. I mean, if you think about, you know, walking in and out of the classroom, that's when you're talking with people more when you're lingering in the hall before and after class, that's when the connections occur um, differently than just in the context of and delivering instruction. That someone asked me, you know, what do you miss the most about, you know, life being the way it is right now? And the, for me, it's serendipity. I love mm -hmm. serendipity. I love being at the coffee shop and there's someone behind me and all of a sudden, I don't know why, but we have something to talk about or, you know, the elevator ride by the, the 10th floor. I know your history, you know, and I love these moments where we can create that. And I think that online can do that, but you do have to maybe build some flexibility in or you know, see to it that when you're setting that time space that you carve some out for um, the social, social serendipity, shall we call it. <laughs> nice. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you, you've said a lot, Lisa, and I just love, and, and I want to reiterate what Brianne said earlier is that you are definitely an educator and have a lot to share and um, bring out to teachers and leaders in more traditional education spaces. So don't ever doubt that. Um, something you said was really, I was so glad to hear you say it because it made me think about our, our K-12 schools right now. And that is this idea that you really have to be willing to sort of refabricate what this space look like looks like, right? Because so often, unfortunately, I'm hearing educators say, well, we're doing our best to replicate the classroom. And I'm as soon as they say that, I'm like, oh, but that's not what online is, right? And so... The question I want to ask you, because I think one of the reasons that one of the other reasons that Brianne and I wanted to do these interviews in season two of Tell Me This is that we know that people like yourself are doing amazing things out there during the pandemic. And we want to bring those strategies to other people so they can also try it in their spaces. So I would love if you could. So you, you sort of took us through this challenge, right, that you were able to move into these spaces where you're able to connect, right? And so I'm wondering if you could talk about what were those first couple of steps? Because you jump into Zoom with people and it's a new space, right? So like, what are some of the things that you had to do to get from, we used to meet at the Y in person and exercise, and now we have this great space of exchanging cookie recipes and connecting and feel. So can you just share, like, if you were sort of doing a, a webinar on how to how to create community in, in Zoom, like what are a couple of tips you would give folks? So I think, I know this is going to sound really funny and maybe I mean it to be, but I <laughs> a sense of humor mm. is so important because I think we all become such perfectionists, especially teachers, we may just be the worst <laughs> because boy, we have our objectives and our checklists and we want to, you know, we want it to go from here to here to here. and. And transferring this way is not linear. And if you try mm. to be linear, you're going to be so frustrated. And then that's going to show up, right? It's yeah. going to show up and it's going to be as contagious as the virus. Mm. So <laughs> I do believe that 
again, my Pollyanna's coming out, but I believe that good can be as contagious as bad. And so I think we, going from, you know, the, the studio, and again, remember that my demographic is a lot of the older population. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of them are like, I hate computers. <laughs> I hate technology. I hate, 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 you know, and it's like, I'm not going to, you know, at first you, you do some coddling and you say, okay, I know, I know, but I'm going to miss you so much. And we, this is the only way we can see each other. Yeah. So, so I think a lot of some hand-holding, lots of emails mm -hmm. behind the scenes or phone calls where I talk them off the ledge, where it's like, no, 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 you can do this. I swear, I know it kicked you out the first time, but I, you will take it in the second. <laughs> I, I, I do. I think instructors can uh, be very infectious with whatever emotion they're bringing, right? Mm -hmm. It's an emotional space, but not just for the students. It's for the teacher, too. Yeah. And so sometimes the way I check my fear or my own negativity is to try to spin some kind of humor on it and say, okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> how can I laugh about this? And it's so that I can move through the space. So yes, teaching people how to become, you know, make friends with the, with the technology that they're not comfortable with. So the younger, the kids, you know, they're already in the technology space. So I feel like <laughs> teachers of those, you know, yeah. <laughs> you have the second grader, please show me how to do this on my phone, please. I can't, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, the learning curve was the, you know, the disregard and dislike, I should say, of technology. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was really, um, and, and this was so genuine, praising them for like, oh my gosh, look who's here. Look who mm -hmm. popped in, look who made it. And look, oh, you, oh, you figured out how to use your camera. That is so amazing. And then they would talk amongst each other like, oh my God, it took me forever to get the stuff right. You know, and all the, all the Zoom stuff. And then we, you know, we, we play the Brady Bunch games. It's like, okay, Alice, you look up, you look down, you look to the side. Yep. And I think, um, honestly, you know, cuddling the technology and making friends with it. But yep. you said something interesting too, Carrie, about um, that you know, re we're reimagining and we're not trying to replicate, right? And I think that it was a, I, one of my neuro heroes is Dr. David Eagleman. And he was, I listened to a, a talk he was giving the other day. And one of the things he said that could be the highlight of COVID, because he's a total silver linings kind of guy, is that because we're forced, we're being forced to do all kinds of things out of our Goldilocks zone, right? It's, we're so used to being in the space. It's not too hard. It's not too easy. We're right in the zone there. So now all of a sudden, you know, I, I loved the, the example he gave is we used to, you know, all we needed to know was that the toilet paper was on aisle eight. Now we need to think about supply chains. We need to know where it's coming. Wait, no, is it, it going to ship on time and all this? And so, as educators, we're doing the same thing. It's like, oh my gosh, I could walk into my class. I could practically do it in my sleep, right? Certain methods and routines and that sort of a thing. So, but one of the things that's really neurologically great for us is that we build new neural synapses when we are being creative and when we're having to wrestle with things that are out of our comfort zone. So we, we might all be a, a smarter, you know, have less cognitive decline 30 years from now when people are doing research, like, oh, those COVID people, man, <laughs> they didn't have as much cognitive decline because they had to really be hard. So That's I awesome. think this is a great time for creative people to really stretch their imaginations and create new 
new formats for lessons and not trying to retrofit. And the way I did that was, you know, we did some similar things, but I was able to um, try some different things that I might not have tried, whether it be through movement or manipulation with their own chairs in their houses, <laughs> you know, just different ways to be, um, to be creative. And, yep. and uh, yeah, so. That's great. That's, yeah. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, Lisa, I always love listening to you and talking with you because there's so much infectious kind of positive energy always. Um, but as you're talking, or Anne, as you're talking now, I just, the word levity came to mind. And I think that when you bring levity to these situations of like, it's just so frustrating when you can't get Zoom to work. And it's just so frustrating that we can't find toilet paper and all these things. Yes. But when you sort of just meet people there and be like, isn't this ridiculous? This is crazy that we are trying to connect, you know, I mean, it's an experience of the absurdity and like, okay, yes. it is empirically every which way absurd. And it's absurd for you, <laughs> it's absurd for me. This is ridiculous. Right. However, <laughs> I think we also have as much shared frustration as we have. I think we do have shared levity, but I think sometimes in a situation like this, where this is a very, very serious situation. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Every yeah. Which way you can look at it. So the temptation is, I think, to for people who want to be respectful and yeah. honor the problems and the situations that are very much the opposite of levity and are grave, so much gravity. Um, it's, I think it's hard for some people to cross that line to balance, but I, I always go back to the balance that we've got to have the yin to the yang. And if we have these very grave situations or the very frustrating like Zoom, like, you know, oh, yesterday, you guys, 2.30 in the afternoon, my power goes off. I'm in the middle of writing my chapter two. And I wasn't sure if I was had a, been able to hit save or anything like that. And there was some kind of a power a blowout and some kind of underground wire. So it didn't come on till 11 o'clock last night. Now, I have a lot of deadlines right now. And I wanted to scream and I wanted to cry. I may have said a sentence enhancer. I'm not sure. But... You know, it's I'd been I just started to laugh. I'm like, oh my god, this is out of my control. Yeah. I can't do anything about it. So that's right. You know, uh, but I think that again, back to intentionality, you have to intentionally tell yourself, I'm going to give myself permission to laugh about this or to yeah. um, try to bring some levity into the situation. Yeah, I think that yeah. I think that's that's great. And um, you know, there's so many takeaways from your tips, Lisa, because even I me, mean, even given the gravity of the situation for so many people, I think this idea of sense of humor, if we were to sort of <clears throat> zoom out to what I'm hearing is being able to empathize, right? Whether it's being being humorous, having levity in a situation and being able to sort of be self-deprecating about, look, I'm struggling too, or to be in a space with someone that's really struggling. I think to me, that was the takeaway. I love this idea of nonlinear because to me, that's sort of the takeaway is adaptability and flexibility and be, being able to move in these sort of wicked problems that we're facing. The other thing that you said, and this is why I wrote this one down because I think it's so funny that you still talk about yourself as being um, you know, a different sort of edu a different sort of educator is that you said hand holding, and really what that is is scaffolding, right? I mean, we talk about scaffolding and affordances and getting people familiar with different technologies and spaces. So, um, so I think there's a lot in here that people will be able to to unpack. So, the last question we want to ask you, and it really is circling back on the theme of the podcast, is 
you, you mentioned, you talked about your definition of belonging in the beginning of the podcast and, and Brianna and I are really curious to know if that concept of belonging has shifted for you during and as you move forward in the pandemic. And if so, can you just sort of briefly share maybe an aspect of that that has changed or have you amended that, that definition or sort of where you are in your thinking about that? Ooh, that's so interesting. That's deep. Yes, I would say. <laughs> um, hmm. I think it's that when we couldn't be together, physical distance, you know, that the idea that we were all so needing each other. And um, I, I think I realized that in both the, the, the fitness world, in my health and education world, and then in the school world that I started to realize that how much I belonged to these groups. Um, and I don't know if it's just that I, sometimes I think it's just that we don't stop to think about it. And so we don't process the barriers we've put up or for ourselves. But um, I just, I feel because of the intentionality that it's taken to even just, you know, see my parents, you know, <laughs> uh, that it's, it's bonded, I think, a lot of people closer and become, I have become hyper aware of my groups. And, and I feel, you know, hyper blessed that I do get to be a part of them and that each group that I'm in, and I wear a lot of hats, the music hats, the, you know, the, the dancing hats and the uh, student hats and family hat, um, they all inform each other and each little group um, just helps me to soar, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that is, that's so great. I don't, I don't want to give the punchline away for our future guests, but I just feel like Brianne, this is what we keep hearing about belonging, right? It's like, it was always this thing. And, and Lisa, you kind of alluded to it in the beginning. It was sort of, we knew this was a thing that was important, like emotional and social and, and belonging, but this pandemic has really quickly you know, Kristen, uh, Dr. Barber said, as you're pressed into these corners, it's really forced us to like realize how much we need this. And, and I think Brian and I would agree with you that we don't like the idea of social distancing, that it is physical distance, right? That is what it is. And we can still have social connection um, in physical distance. So, um, so yeah, so Lisa, I um, want to thank you for coming on the podcast and um, for our listeners, Lisa was gracious enough to share some literature and I, I jotted down some notes of some, some other uh, sources that you mentioned that we'll put up on the, on the uh, website, but Brianne, any last words before we sign off? Oh, it's just that I always love being with Lisa. And I remember when we met first face to face, which was, you know, nice. Um, and she was just so dynamic. And I'm like, who is this lady coming up? Like just, she was like, tell me about your work. And she, she really wanted to know. And she was all in and, in her conversation and I hope that you spirit animal I still look at (laughs) when I have a question I just go to we even have in my little we have a little uh dream we call ourselves a dream team a little cohort group of 2019 and sometimes there's just a text that that floats around that says what would Brianne do (laughs) (laughs) 
That's you all. Take wow. Oh, I'm going to use that one for many a day to come, Lisa. Oh I know I'm going to get a tattoo. What would Brianne do? Yeah, don't oh, do I, that. Love that. <laughs> I love that. So, well, oh, that is goodness. very nice. Thank you, Lisa. But yeah. I just, I always love hanging out and, and chatting with you and I always learn something. So thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, well, I know we'll be seeing you around whether it's on Zoom or otherwise. So thanks again for joining us today. It was a real pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for inviting me. I am very honored. This was a lot of fun and um, let's talk again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, I think Brianne, we might need to have Lisa back for one of those short episodes. Maybe she can share some stress relievers or breathing yeah. sort of exercises that she's talked about. So um, be, be careful what you wish for there, Lisa. We might have you back and put you to work. So, all right. So thanks, Lisa and Brianne. Thanks, thanks for joining us too. All right. Welcome back to season two, episode two of Tell Me This. I hope you enjoyed our talk with Lisa Cerise. So I was not kidding when I said that I remember <laughs> when I met her for the first time at Hopkins Orientation um, in July of 2019. She was alive and dynamic and just so engaged. And I think you all got a taste of Lisa's energy and enthusiasm today. Lisa believes in the power of movement and neuroscience. And I wanna take the opportunity to dig into one of the articles that she suggested for us. It's a recent article, so published in 2020 by Holmes and colleagues. And it's called Multidisciplinary Research Priorities for the COVID-19 Pandemic, A Call for Action for Mental Health Science. This article came out of the UK and it really talks about two things. First, the impact of COVID on mental health. And second, the need to study the impact of COVID on mental health. Mm. I think we can all agree that we feel the impact of social distancing and isolation. And of course, Lisa mentioned that as well. And according to the article, not surprisingly, the consequences of the precautions that we are taking to stop the spread of the virus, like social distancing, going to work and school remotely and not seeing friends and family, are connected to social isolation and loneliness, which are associated with depression, anxiety, self-harm, and suicide for people of all ages. So Carrie, we know we talk so much about physical and social distance and how hard this is. And what I appreciated about this article is that it really connected it to, you know, psychological diagnoses that mm -hmm. people have. So kind of legitimizing these things that we've talked a little bit more anecdotally about. All of this is really serious stuff, of course, um, the spread of the virus and the steps that we're taking to try to, try to stop the spread. So I want to share two key takeaways from the article um, and Lisa's discussion. First is the idea of balance. It seems to be ever present these days. And Holmes and colleagues talk a lot about what we have to do to stay physically safe and also the impacts of those decisions. Mm -hmm. I was talking with my daughter's pediatrician recently, and he said, like, look, everything that you do each day is a calculated risk. You can go to school, you can go play lacrosse with a bunch of kids, but you need to be thinking about those exposures and the vulnerable populations that you're going to be around. Oh, and I hung up the phone with him and I even said this actually before and I was like, oh, I just find the, the weighing of the risks constantly all day, every day, just to be so exhausting. Um, and I found myself thinking back to parenting. So like when you, when you read parenting books and you wish that they would just tell you exactly what to do, right? So they say that, you know, kids resist discipline, but really they crave structure. Well, I am like, I am craving structure. Somebody just give me the definite answer. It's, you know, it's not there. 
So we are in this constant state of trying to balance staying physically and psychologically safe and healthy. And that balancing acts, act right now seems to be skewed to favor physical health. Um, and of course, with good reason, because we have to stop the spread of COVID, we also have to attend to our psychological needs. Brene Brown, our favorite, right, tells us that human beings are wired for connection. And if there is anything that I have learned since March, it is that she is right on. <laughs> we need each other so badly. Um, and since we're physically without each other these days, it's important that we study what's going on, right? Which brings me to my second takeaway. Holmes and colleagues write extensively about the need to study the physical, psychological, and structural factors that impact us as we move through COVID-19. They're really talking about large-scale studies with thousands of participants, and you know that is very clearly needed. On a smaller scale, though, I think that we can all engage in our own research in the form of reflection, or maybe um, meta-dissonance, maybe? Right? maybe. <laughs> Um, Carrie and I, you know, use the word reflection so often, and Lisa did a really nice job reflecting on her online teaching experiences this summer. And she really is conducting research for her dissertation. But I would say that even in the absence of a formal study, that we are all responsible for checking in with ourselves and our friends and our families to consider the factors that Lisa and Holmes share with us. So thinking specifically about the physical factors like sleep and exercise, right, emphasis mm -hmm. on those by Lisa psychological factors like coping um, and structural factors like our work schedules. I've heard people share that they're getting used to working from home, uh, but that they're lacking boundaries and that the workday doesn't really seem to end. And I can really relate to that too. Mm -hmm. I think Holmes and, and Lisa would say, pay attention to that and make an explicit effort to reflect on your days and to study your own experience. It's obviously not safe for us to return to our old habits, but maybe there are small adjustments that we can make. Like, for example, I don't sleep enough. So I'm trying to just be better about getting to sleep in the tens so that I can wake up a little bit earlier and be more productive. Um, trying to keep some work-life balance, you know, again, circling back to that first takeaway. Finally, I wanted to go back to Lisa's experience of the benefits of combining exercise with intentional social interaction in her classes. She took time to help her students learn how to use Zoom and to navigate an unfamiliar and uncomfortable digital space. And that increased and facilitated that sense of digital belonging to people who might not have gotten there. A lot of her clients are older and they, they were, I mean, they expressed fear to her that they were nervous about, you know, how to do this. Mm -hmm. And she led them in physical exercise. And she also extended her class time to allow for some conversation. So I would say that Lisa addressed the physical, psychological, and structural needs of her students. Again, the article argues for big studies with big data, and I think everybody would agree that that's needed. Alongside those big studies, we can be working in more micro ways to implement the ideas that Holmes and her colleagues suggest, just like Lisa's doing at the YMCA outside of Houston in Texas. Brian, can I ask a question before you finish up? Is that yeah, okay? sure. So this idea of digital belonging, was that in the article or is that something that you sort of put together? That was something that I put together. Do you like that? <laughs> I do. I actually yeah. do like that. I think that's something maybe as we talk to more um, folks this fall and in the winter, maybe to tap into that a little bit. I, I don't have a great thought right now, but I, you definitely, I was like, hmm, digital belonging. That's interesting. How do we, I don't, how do you think about that in relation to what we know about belonging, right? I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, really, Lisa gave me the idea kind of because she was so intentional about welcoming people mm -hmm. who were not in that space before. I thought that maybe it's a thing that we could 
<clears throat> you know, consider. So yeah. Yeah. It's great. Another thought for another time, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I think we'd love to wrap up right by thanking Lisa for her work with her students and her and for her research and for taking the time to share her lived experience with us and her work here on Tell Me This. And I would say that somehow she exuded the same enthusiasm on Zoom that I remember from our first <laughs> encounter at orientation. And we always appreciate her energy and her wisdom. Absolutely. So in closure, yeah, I hope that you'll pay close attention to balance in your days um, and focusing on those physical, psychological, and structural factors that really influence your hours and how you spend your time. I am your co-host, co right, Brianne Roost, here with Carrie Borkowski, and this is Tell Me This, Season 2, Episode 2.